what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am a co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival held here in Western North Carolina. With me as always, my co-host, the other co and the co-director, co-founder, Chris Fry. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well. Looking forward to talking about the movies today. Yeah, well, we've got a couple good ones we're going to be talking about for reviews. Uh, the way our show normally works is we review a couple of films on the first half, and then later in the show we have some movie news to share, maybe some upcoming interesting productions that we're kind of wanting to keep our eye on. Uh, that's going to be the case today. Two productions in particular I want to talk about that sound interesting. And then we also close out the show with recommendations. Chris and I both share a recommendation of a film we think might be worth your time if you are looking for something to watch uh, in the near future. So, Chris, we've got two films we're going to be reviewing today. First up will be the latest live-action prequel film, which is now becoming its own genre, I think, at the Disney Walt Disney Studios. But it is the uh, film Cruella, starring Emma Stone and Emma Thompson. Then we'll be reviewing the film Together Together, directed by Nicole Beckwith, that stars Ed Helms and Patty Harrison. So we'll be talking about both those films in today's show. So uh, you want to go ahead and get started with the first one? Sure, let's do it. All right, we're going to go right into our first film, which is the uh, live-action prequel film to The 101 Dalmatians. It is Cruella. Let me give you some advice. You can't care about anyone else. Everyone else is an obstacle. You care what an obstacle wants or feels you're dead. If I'd cared about anyone or thing, I might have died. You have the talent. Whether you have the killer instinct is the big question. She thought she owned everyone. It's foolish. Unhinged. Well, you're fired. Why are you speaking? I think you've licked me. But there's something about poetic justice that's just so poetic. You won't admit you love me. And so, how do you have a light? To know you always tell me. Get her. This doesn't have to be a scene. It really, really does. Can I remind you all that I'm doing this in heels? Oops. What was your name? Cruella. If you can make your mind up, we'll never get started. I want to make trouble. You in? I do love trouble. You have a bit of an extreme side. Yes, darling. And what fun that is. She stole my dogs. <laughs> I guess you must hate her. She has made it me or her. An 
And I choose me. Don't worry, there's lots more bad things coming. Perhaps. Chris, in the film Cruella, we follow, we have a film that follows the trends that has been started over the last several years where we've been seeing prequel films of villains in Disney films, or even, I'm going to broaden it out, even going to say even in pop culture in general. You know, you had Maleficent with Angelina Jolie. I think there were two movies of that little franchise. There were. Exploring the in uh, Sleeping Beauty villain kind of her backstory and kind of uh, maybe building a little sympathy towards her, I think along the way. And then I'm going to broaden it out and even say it, this even goes to like the Joker film that was with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, kind of a backstory of the Joker meant to give you some insight of how he got to where he is, maybe building some sympathy along the way. Who knows? So here we have Emma Stone playing, the villain from the classic animated Disney film on 101 Dalmatians. She is playing Cruella de Vil. Um, this is a film that explores her backstory, tells us a little bit about how she got her start and really leads us right up to the doorstep uh, figuratively and literally of 101 Dalmatians. Now, Chris, uh, these films are interesting ones to review because you know, you're dealing with a character that's already established in our culture, you know, we know them through the classic animated films. And even Glenn Close did her version of Cruella de Vil back in, the, I think, the 90s, I believe, with a couple of films there. Here we have Emma Stone taking on the early proto version of Cruella de Vil, uh, actually technically playing two roles, if you want to kind of look at it that way in the film without getting into too many spoilers. But And we have the film directed by Craig Gillespie, who uh, I best know from I, Tanya. And then also a film that you and I, interestingly enough, just mentioned casually in a completely unrelated conversation just in the last 48 hours, Lars and the Real Girl. So, Chris, let me just toss it over to you with Cruella. Does this elevate what Disney's trying to do in the live action space? And do you want to see more villains with backstories after this film? Or do they need to stop with Cruella based on your opinion? I want to hear your take. Well, you know, it's growing up as a young kid, the villains were always my favorite part of the Disney animated movies. Um, Jafar to me is far more interesting than Aladdin. Sure. Um, and you know, Captain Hook to me, far more interesting than Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Um, just the villains just always like, Ursula more interesting than Ariel, you know? So, and the list goes on. Um, I think just because they're always given kind of center stage, they get to give this huge performance. And mm-hmm. um, even though ultimately they usually don't turn out so well, <laughs> it's a showier performance. Sure. They get, they get to chew a lot more scenery. They just get to have fun with it most of the time. So, right. Yeah. And um, you referenced Maleficent, the one that they've Disney's taken. They've done other remakes. They've remade Beauty and the Beast, but it wasn't, it wasn't from the villain's perspective. They uh, remade, you know, the jungle book, they remade other things, but it wasn't, from a Cinderella, but it wasn't from the villain's perspective. Maleficent was the first one, I believe, where they kind of took that tack. And I really liked Maleficent. Um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, flawless or whatever, but, but I liked it. I did not catch up with the sequel, which mm-hmm. I think from what I've heard, maybe was a good decision. Um, so with this one, um, you know, coming in after, you know, it's like they found one formula that kind of worked. And am I leery of them continuing to do this? Well, maybe to answer that question. But as far as for this film, 
it, it worked for me. And I can go into some reasons why, but um, I think this was a, a good, a good addition to their catalog. I'm pleased. Now, that being said, I really, 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 I think that's three really, so that's probably enough, hope they avoid the trap of making a sequel. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if this makes enough money, I get it. They want to, you know, mm. but I just, it was ended perfectly and yeah. um, without going into spoilers again. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of my experience, general experience with the film before I go into my laundry list of positive and negatives. How about you? Uh, yeah, no, I, I liked it. I liked okay. it a lot. I actually really had a fun time with it. Um, I'll admit, and not to get too specific with it, uh, I was worried starting out. Um, the first 10, 15 minutes had me really worried. You were um, like, where's Emma Stone? Well, there's <laughs> that, but I mean, it just, it was a very, it was basically what I expected if Disney was going to make a prequel about Cruella DeVille, it would start out exactly like Very this. Kind of cutesy. Like, oh. and, yeah. I'm like, please don't let this be the film that sure. we're going to be seeing for the next you know, two hours. And luckily it wasn't. Right. I mean, once they got past the obligatory, I guess, you know, this is her as a child and this is her as a young youngster and her in school and all, all this stuff that was just kind of grown worthy. It just, it didn't work. But then when you get to Emma Stone, and I think especially when you get to Emma Thompson in there as well, mm. the two of them, once they both get into full gear, it was a, a really fun, fun show after yeah, that. Yeah, the so. Emma versus Emma oh. was was <laughs> highlight of the film. I mean, I sure. like Emma Thompson in most everything, but to see her get to be so deliciously evil. Yeah, and big, play a big oh, role. Yeah. It was so much fun to see. So right. she was she was great. Um, no, I think, I think the film works and I think it works for a couple reasons. One, Emma Stone and Emma Thompson. I think they, they help make this work Two, I, I think going into with the setting of the London punk scene mm. and just the fashion world and that scene, it, it, it was a, it was a fun world to explore. You know, sure. it was not, it was something that really matched the tone of the film they were going for. Um, the music also, I think worked for the most part, although there's a couple of places I already see you gr uh, grimacing as well. Yes, there are a couple of places where it was a little too on the nose, a little too easy a needle drop. But in general, the overall tone of the, the the choice of music and the style and the production and the sets and the costumes, everything kind of worked. I think is creating this this environment around us. But um, yeah, I've got some comments on specific music drops, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I do think a lot of that worked really well. I'm also going to give huge kudos to uh, Paul Walter Hauser hmm. as Horace playing really the comic relief of the film, but he did it. And mm -hmm. I think it worked. I, mean, I found myself generally laughing when he's on screen and wanting to see more of him. So I, I thought that worked really well. And what could have been a very uh, kind of eye rolling uh, part, I feel like, trying to play this henchman from the cartoon that we saw, sure. you know, but giving him some degree of a personality. And I think, I think it worked. It was fun. So what are some, what are some other positives on your end? Yeah. The way, the way this film didn't just simply, I feel like even though there is, it's Disney. So they are very careful with their franchise or with, you know, with their, the world they're building, but it wasn't so eye rolling at the things they did. Like they have horse and Jasper. They're this kind mm -hmm. of, you know, crime that the help crew, their henchmen, yeah. but yet they don't make it so stereotypical. They give them like each little quirks, but it somehow mm -hmm. it still works. Yeah. Um, and the whole underlying story of Cruella's development on how she got to where she may or may not be by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, that was 
that was interesting to me, even though I thought I knew from the very beginning, something that happened, I was like, Oh, they kind of keep something shrouded, but then there's a kind of a bigger reveal much later. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now that's not what I thought was going to be the reveal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that which I, there again, don't want to get into spoilers. So they kept, they kept ahead of me, which I always admire a film when they can do that, you know, because you don't, the idea is you don't really want to figure out stuff. Right. You want it to be a surprise. Yeah. So, um, I like that you mentioned, you know, I have a lot of praise for this picture, um, mm-hmm. but if we do want to get into, um, I'll, I'll say just off the bat, it seems like the two negatives that I have, mm-hmm. and there are only two, um, are similar to ones that you have. Um, even though I like the film, mm-hmm. uh, it was, there again, this, you know, if you're playing a drinking game, I guess, take a drink. Cause when I say it, it was two hours and 14 minutes. Yeah, no, it was long. Now I felt like it moved pretty well, but I was on the same page with you the intro, which lasts about 14 or 15 minutes before we get the Cruella name yeah. of the film. I get it. They're building backstory. And instead of doing flashbacks, which mm. could have been annoying, they just put it all up front. Now, the little girl who plays Cruella, I actually thought she did a good oh, job. Yeah, so good. it wasn't a performance thing. It was just, I think because from the previews and everything, you're just anticipating Emma Stone. And it's like, you don't get her until 15 minutes and you hear her voiceover Mm -hmm. and she has some clever lines. And I think her vocal work as Cruella was awesome as well, because she has a lot to live up to with that vocal performance from like the cartoon. And I, I thought she did a good job. She wasn't like trying to match it exactly, but it was enough, the kind of huskiness that she had to her voice and everything. I thought it was brilliant, but I was I was getting kind of squirmy in my seat. Yeah. And then finally you get the cut and you're like, okay, now, now the movie after 15 minutes is getting started. Now, if that had been the only time I was squirmy, I'd have been fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to say something without there again, trying to keep spoiler free. Cause I think this movie does have some surprises yeah. that it'd be good if you don't sure. know. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where there's a big fire. Yes. Okay. After that big fire, I kind of felt like I can't believe there's another half hour of this movie because yeah. I kind of felt like at that point, lots of things had been established and then it was kind of like, okay, now they do build up and then we have another, the ending of the film, obviously, which was still good, but I felt like it was, it was kind of sluggish and could have been tighter because by that time you've already experienced all these surprises and it, then it's just kind of like, okay. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, that made me a little, no, I, I, little I'm, skittish. I, I, I can see that. I did. I was surprised like you. I think I actually pulled up, you know, that's one of the, the things about watching it on a, at, 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 on, at home on a screening or screen yeah. is I can actually pull up the little remote and do a little pause and see how much longer is left in the movie. Yes. After the fire scene and kind of how that ended, I did find myself a little surprised to look and say, oh, wow. Yeah. There's still a lot of this movie left. I think, too, the film suffers a little bit in that some of the scenes are fairly repetitive. I think we have, mm. like, three different fashion heist scenes, you know, or well, ballroom, you know, uh, scenes where there's a heist going on in the background. And I, they're all fun, but it is a little repetitive. So, And yeah. I, I think, okay, and I agree. And um, there again, so you have a first one, and I can say what this one is because it's in the preview. Mm-hmm. It's the flame dress. Yes. Okay, so you have that one. Good. You have a second one, which all I'll say about that one is there's a um, a golden bauble dress. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's and that one is amazing. Yeah, no, that's a cool cool idea. And yeah. then to come back from that, 
they have the final set piece that we're not talking about that happens after. And I felt like that one, it was okay, but it was almost kind of predictable. Mm -hmm. And so after having the surprise, if you hadn't watched the preview of the first one, which was still cool to see visually, and then the second one, which you knew nothing about, I agree kind of by that third fashion thing, you're kind of like, Okay. Well, you know, again, yeah. if it was a 90 minute film, you, you probably wouldn't notice it as much. But when you're at two hours, 15 minutes, you're just like, yeah, it does seem like it's kind of spinning its wheels a little bit, a little bit longer than it needed to. Um, I, that I agree. I, it didn't make me not like the film. Sure. It's just one of something I, I thought was, you know. Uh, could have been tidied up to make it a little more a little more streamlined. You know, I mentioned the music, and even though I like the tone and style of the music, I mean, it's it's the Alan. Yeah, let's let's do this because we're yeah. both on the same game. I just okay. There's a lot, a couple, a lot yeah. of times when Alan and I review, it's all the time. We're giving our opinions, folks. Yeah, yeah. You know, neither one of us are saying we're right and the other person's wrong. But because I know, I can tell from Alan his thing. We both have this same problem. Now, what I think will be interesting, I want Alan, if he can, yeah. to mention specific ones that did not needle drops, that did not work for him. I have ones written down that I want to say they worked for oh me. And gosh. then it'll be interesting because it may be some of the same. And it's just a matter of taste. Alan's like, no, that totally didn't work for me. And I'll be like, oh, man, that totally worked for me. Or maybe oh, do you want boy. me to go right. first? Because um, I haven't actually written I only, I only made a note about one song. Okay. okay. So only one song that I think is both a very... <laughs> I don't know. I both kind of loved it, and it's totally eye-rolling on the nose, but I still loved it. Okay. And that was the Stooges' uh, I, I Want to Be Your Dog. Okay. I actually thought that one was – I'm like, as I hear the the words, the, the, you know, the, as I'm hearing it play, I'm like, well, of course they're going to play this. I'm right. Like, but it is kind of awesome to be playing this in a Disney film. So I'm sure. like, I'm okay with this. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, <laughs> prior to that point, and I think yeah. – I am usually, I try to be, I like music a lot and I'm very in tune with how movies use it. Yeah. And it got to me kind of early on that this movie was very needle drop intensive yeah. and it bothered me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think not because I didn't think they were right. I just thought they were almost trying to be too clever for their own good. Yeah. Um, for example, um, early in the film, there's uh, walking shoes, uh, which I like. These boots are made for walking. Oh, they, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I liked, yeah, I liked that yeah. one. That, and then there's uh, five to one by the doors. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was like yeah. genius. But then some of them like, like stone cold crazy by queen. It's just, yeah, and there's very, the zombies time of the season. I was I like, know, that's like the, that. like the typical song you use to like, say, but there again, I think it's just all a matter of, you know, like the walk. I didn't even notice that one. Um, and mm -hmm. there was another one. I can't remember. I mean, we could just get through laundry list. There was one that was a cover instead of the original. I thought it was kind of strange that they bothered to do that. Well, the, I want to be your dog was actually a cover. Oh, was that one? Yeah, okay. Yeah, was a cover. okay. Maybe that was the, the one I noticed. Okay. But a guy, you know, it sounded pretty close. And, sure. Uh, so you had a, you had a super tramp song. You had a BG song. Uh, Feeling good by Nina Simone to me is like one of the most overused songs. I love it. It's it, one of my favorite. <laughs> favorite song but it is completely overused in movies and, and it was used in this one and it, it was, was used, used well was used i think well, that's the but. i think that's the point is you know unless a movie's about music which i guess you made the kind of thing that it could typically kind of be because it's about punk about fashion mm -hmm. so but unless i guess a movie is specifically about music the needle drops like an almost famous doesn't bother me because that movie's no. about music yeah, yeah. in this movie we're more about something else and i think if more some soundtrack work well, as it, opposed to using actual well, songs. Well, here's a little so. bit of the problem. I don't know if all of these songs are period appropriate, are period appropriate either. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's a little bit of that. When you started to hear some songs that were a little little bit newer, like I think a couple of these songs are more like 
70s, 80s movie, uh, instead of like 60s, 70s, it mm. should be. Okay. Then I think that's when it pulls you out and be like, okay, yeah, they just wanted to drop in some cool songs that kind of match what was going on at the time. And I mean, again, I had a good time with it. Sure, it was sure. one of those things where almost like you're waiting to see, oh, what song are they going to play next? Well, a little and, jukeboxy to it. And um, yeah. Which, again, for this film, I was into it. Sure. It worked. But it took, I could see where it could be a problem. It took me by yeah. surprise that they were kind of using that motif. And I thought the film was clever enough on its own rights mm-hmm. that it didn't need to be doing that. So kind of because it was so clever, it kind of took me out. Maybe <laughs> after the first couple, I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's a, that is a very small negative nitpick. Right. So it ultimately I still enjoyed what they did with me with music. I did. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I can see where it's, if you're not into the movie, the music's going to annoy you because sure. it's just going to be like, okay, what needle drop are they are they putting in now just to have that cool song in there? And, and, and that's never you never want that to be what takes you out of a film. It didn't for me. I enjoyed it. I think it added to it. Um, I uh, I'll just mention another thing too. Uh, sure, Caven Novak, who I don't know, you've never seen the show What We Do in the Shadows, the actual TV show. Not Correct, the movie. I have not. He's from that TV show. He played Roger Radcliffe, who's Roger that we will eventually see in 101 Dalmatians. Um, small part, but he was fun. I liked him a lot in this. Um, I liked Anita's small part as well. Yes, yep, she was good as well. Um, you know, we talked about music. My big thing, question with a movie like this, Chris, is, is liking a movie like Cruella. Mm-hmm. And liking the story and liking the character that, that that's portrayed, does it do anything to hurt the the original source material? Because well, you know, Cruella Deville in One Hundred One Dalmatians. I mean, it's just you don't just, like her at just all. Evil. Right. I mean, there's no redeeming qualities to right. her. Right. But now you watch it with this lens, and you're just like, well, I mean, you know, you, you kind of. I mean, obviously, a film like this. We can't just have Cruella DeVille be a bad person the entire two hours. That's not really terribly entertaining. Right. You've got to have some character development. You've got to have some backstory. You've got to have some things that happen to her. And we get that. So at the end of the film, do her leading into 101 Dalmatians, it's actually kind of a – it's hard for me to wrap my head well, around her becoming this completely evil person in the films that we know from our past. Okay. So this is going to be a kind of a have your cake and eat it too because yeah. I've already like – throwing Maleficent under the bus. What was interesting about that film? Did you ever see it? I didn't. Okay. Because no. I couldn't remember. It was a while ago, so I couldn't remember if we reviewed it on the show. That film was kind of a revisionist history of Maleficent. I mean, it's told from her perspective, but it kind of says like, hey, these are some things that happened that were misconstrued by that animated movie they made mm-hmm. about me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I never saw the second one, and I don't know if that one actually went right up until when Sleeping Beauty started. Because, yeah. you know, in Sleeping Beauty, like you're saying, the villain is bad. There is no good. In 101 Dalmatians, Cruella is bad. There is, there is no good. In this yeah. film, she does, you know, some troubling things. She's having, you know, trouble justifying how she was brought up and, all, you know, stealing. Yes, she mm-hmm. is. She does have a life of crime in this film. But... At the end of this film, I agree. If they were to go on into the animated movie, you'd be like, whoa. Yeah. What so that's what kind of impresses me well, is this, again, is kind of a revisionist take on Cruella, which sure. is why I don't think it would be a good idea to make a sequel. <laughs> because Not if you great. didn't – but like, that, you know, I, I, don't, I well, guess they could do it and maybe it would be really ingenious how they do it. But I yeah. was – 
again, I'm going to dance around this without sure. spoiling. Sure. I was really curious how they were going to handle her relationship with Dalmatians. Well, with dogs in general. With dogs. Right. And there was a moment, it was actually a little confusing late in the film. I kind of had to rewind a bit and make sure I knew what was, what was happening with her. Supposedly her uh, action she took with some Dalmatians. Right. And of course you're already, you know, people watching the movie know the original animated feature. So they know her dislike of those dogs <laughs> and what her intentions are with those right. dogs. So that's where it's a little muddy. And I could see where somebody, you know, if you, yeah, like you said, if you watch Cruella first before you ever saw 101 Dalmatians, like, huh? and you watch that. <laughs> Like what happened to her in between these two? Because there was at least some redeeming qualities to her at the end of Cruella where you don't see that in 101 Dalmatians. Right. I, I'm just, it's more of a theoretical question about, you know, is this a concern that the more we explore the backstories of these villains, classic villains, do we actually lose them being really good <laughs> villains in their original source material? You know, right. I mean, again, I know everything should stand apart. It doesn't all, it, it's not all in a vacuum, um, you know, but, I don't know. I'm just curious about that. And that's just something I thought about by the end of the film. I'm like, I liked where it ended. I liked how it ended up. But I also wonder how does this bridge to the original source material? And it kind of doesn't as much. Which I think is cool for Disney to do that kind of dismissive non-franchise care. (laughs) Um, I would think like, oh, that's really cool that, yeah, it technically doesn't dovetail directly into the animated one, which I don't think Maleficent really did either. Um, Mm, but I'm not sure about the sequel. Um, so yeah, I think it was kind of daring that they do make her not link up with the the animated one, but I, I I like that choice. Um, Mm. as long as they don't make a sequel where they just drive her into the ground and make her evil, that would disappoint Um, me. (laughs) Last thing I'll say too, I I thought the closing credits were really, really cool. I don't Mm. know if you remember them, just, you know, I, I film, film, Producers are getting more and more inventive, I think, with closing credits. Like the 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 first stage of closing credits, where oh, it's like okay. the big names on the screen, and then it they normally throw in like a little final scene, like they did in this film, and then they go to the scrolling credits. Um, it was just really I, I I seem to remember it was really inventive and just looked really cool. It was fun to watch. So hmm. I always enjoy when they can make those kind of opening closing credits a little more engaging to watch. And uh, I'll say. Too, I was, you know, this film, I didn't realize when I was going in, I learned afterwards that Gillespie was the one, like, I saw his name, but I didn't realize he did I, Tanya and mm-hmm. Lars and the Real Girl. And something about going into this, I felt like it needed some, a director's kind of special, special touch to give it a sense of, I don't know, style, not necessarily mm-hmm. just because it was fashion, but just something about it, like it needed some quirk. Like back in the day, before maybe he lost a little bit of his mojo, I would have said, yeah, Tim Burton's take on Cruella would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after the Alice in Wonderland debacle, I'm kind of away from that. Um, however, something about, I think his direction on this really worked mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. Now, granted, paired with that, even though we just finished the Oscars, I feel like it's probably too early to give a costuming, production, hair and makeup mm-hmm. nomination. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I hope they don't forget about this film because it, yeah. I mean, it, it, and it's very central for that to happen, for yeah. Cruella to have her hair for the costumes to be what they were, um, production design, like the sets of the different, like it's pretty important. No, it's yeah. not that it's not important in all films, but like in this one, like it really kind of, to me stood out. So the whole, to me, the whole set of the Emma Thompson characters, the Baroness 
her fashion studio mm-hmm. was really cool. Just mm-hmm. I liked all the scenes that took place in there just because I liked the style of that space. And yeah, I mean, granted, it's a little more of a heightened version oh, of sure. a fashion studio, of course, sure. like you would expect, but it still worked. And, and uh, I like that a lot. I agree with you. I think sets, costumes, hair, makeup, all that are things that, that should be kept in mind. Unfortunately, with a film that's released early in the year, those are ones that normally get lost by awards time, but I hope that's not the case here. So, yeah. yeah I guess, you know, final thought for me is if you would like to see a mashup of Devil Wears Prada and The Joker with a oh. Disney-ish happy ending, yeah. this is for you. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It really is. And actually, when the, when the, when the trailer came out for this film, I remember people online are saying, oh, it's kind of the, the Jokerized version of Cruella de Vil, which... Yeah, I mean, if you want to play it that way, it is. But uh, obviously, it's still Disney. You know, it's still one that, you know, your kids can watch. You know, even it gets a little dark in some places, but not any darker than, you know, some some, uh, darker live live action Disney films generally do. Yeah. Um, It's still one that's okay for everybody to watch. Yeah, it's PG 13. It's not like it's It's, too trivial. It's a little edgier. It is. PG 13, a little edgier than than normal. Um, But yeah, I, uh, I had a really good time with this film. I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I, like you, don't want to see a sequel. I'm happy with the way they ended it, but we will see. Emma Stone, I think, really had a, seemed to be having a lot of fun with this part, and it was fun to see her really cut loose with a very over-the-top character, and, and Emma Thompson as well. So uh, kudos to both of them on this. All right. Well, that is Cruella. It is, as of the time we released this episode, it should be available online. It's a, it was, is it a Disney plus like free movie or is it one you got to pay for? It is. You will be paying a little bit of a premium kind of the Mulan model. Um, it'll be in theaters, but it's also going to release on Disney plus the same day for a premium. Right. Gotcha. So that is Cruella. Chris and I are both recommending it as a, a fun watch. And, uh, so now let's move on to our second review, Chris, which is the film together together. Sorry, I'm just, I am a little nervous. I've thought a lot more about being a dad than I've thought about um, making conversation with the person carrying my baby. Right, well, I'm nervous too. To my sperm, to the donor's egg, and to your uterus. Cheers. Cheers. Mom, dad, have some exciting news. I'm pregnant. I mean, the surrogate is pregnant. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm mad. I just don't have anyone that I really need to share the news with. Does that bother you, Matt? Hey, sorry. Hey, man. Bryce? So did you guys just do it, or? Matt! Oh, who is this guy? You can't do that. It says who? Are you like her I... uncle or something? No, I'm not her uncle. I'm the father. Oh, my God, you're her father? No, I'm not her dad. What do you think? It is more than fine to have sex when you're pregnant. But, like, my baby is in there absorbing ejaculate. I use protection. Why are you doing this alone? Because I am alone. I'm in this chapter of my life that feels like it should be over, but it's not. It's just on a loop. It's weird to be perceived as hopeless in this moment when I'm actually incredibly hopeful. Why are you alone? I don't think being alone is a bad thing. So are you going to have the baby shower? <laughs> I just want to say thank you for doing this with me, and I also apologize for everyone I know. Is that what this is like? Like donating an organ? I don't know. I've never donated an organ before. We should have better boundaries. Are we friends? Aren't we? I think that if we are, in order for this to work, 
We shouldn't be. I'd like to start class with a cleansing breath. Sometimes people just connect. It's not about being attracted to one another. So how many friends in their 20s do you have? I don't know. At some point, you will give birth to a child, and then what happens? Just because you're not like together together doesn't mean that you haven't created a bond. But I'm really worried that you're probably making a little straight white guy in there. That's the whole plan. I'm gonna... Oh, I just, I just gave him a podcast. <sighs> together Together tells us a story about a young loner who decides to become a gestational surrogate for a young man in his 40s. The young man being Ed Helms. He is single. The two strangers come to realize the unexpected relationship will challenge their perceptions of connection, boundaries, and the particulars of love. Um, This film kind of sets up, it's only the second film by the director, Nicole Beckwith. And hearing that, hearing that kind of summary and knowing if you've seen any of the trailer that, you know, it's Ed Helms, he's probably going to have some comedic moments. You may think, is this just going to be a slightly different take on something like knocked up or something where it deals with the fact of having a kid or wanting a kid and, or just, you know, just, it seems maybe a little too, too pat or rote in its, you know, ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a big hit at Sundance. Alan, uh, you and I've just recently watched it. Was it a big hit with you? Um, I'll tell you, I like the idea okay. of this movie and the conversations this movie can generate okay. better than I like the movie itself. Wow. Okay. Um, I am on an opposite page than you. This okay. is going to be awesome. <laughs> I, I thought the concept, the story, the overall, like when you describe the story, two people that both of them kind of loners in their own life right now, both of them alone People, one of them is going to be a surrogate for the other one. Right. And what their friendship develops across and how that leads, what that's going to lead to the fact that, you know, she's carrying a child for him. They technically should, will not have any connection to one another when this right. is all done. She's doing it as kind of like a job. I mean, yeah, he's paying her money and friends along the way, the process, because they both need somebody, you know, to kind of, to kind of be with. It's a fascinating idea, a fascinating story, and I love where the story is kind of starting to tiptoe and explore into. Um, but yeah, I, I found myself thinking about it more and talking about it with you know people I watched it with more than thinking the film was really a good film. Hmm. Um, wow! And I'll tell you why. So Ed Helms, I like Ed Helms. I think he he's he's a, a good actor. But he, you give him a banjo and he's still basically Andy from The Office to me in this film. Just a toned down version. Hmm. He, I, I didn't really see a lot of range from him. So I kind of felt like he was still playing a little bit of a caricature throughout the film. However, Patty Harrison, who played Anna, I really liked. I thought she okay. was a much more natural character. I believed her as a character. I'm like, yeah, I get her. I get who she is. I get what she's thinking about. I get you know her personality. Ed Helms's Matt, I still felt like was a, I felt like he's, he's acting. I felt like he's a caricature of, of a lonely guy who's a little dorky, but you know, a little OCD, a little over anxious about things. And that's just a character I've seen with him too many times. So I, I, it didn't work for me as well. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah, there were some moments in the film. I think I think the film had some really great moments. I think there's some great scenes. There's a, there's a scene of uh, picking a wall color for a nursery that I thought sure. was really, really good. I thought there's a moment where they're trying to decide how to refer to the baby name-wise since, you know, they don't want to give the baby a name or know its gender yet. I thought were all very, very good scenes. I wonder how much of it were slightly improvised by the two actors versus truly scripted out. Either way, it came across very natural in many of those cases. Um, I'm going to turn it over to you and hear your thoughts because I think you're a lot more positive on this film than I am uh, before I do a a little rant about the ending. Oh, (laughs) bring it on. I'm totally ready for that. Um, So, uh, yes. So if we just, this film has nothing in common with Cruella. However, um, I had all these positives to Cruella and I had two negatives. I have no negatives for this film. Wow. I only have positives. So that should let you know kind of where I stand. Um, I did really, really like it. I thought the two lead performances at Helms, Patty Harrison were both very strong. Patty Harrison stood out just because I'm not familiar with her at all. Mm -hmm. Um, She has done some other work, but as far as like a lead role or a lead, you know, I'm familiar with her. So I thought she really like shined. Um, Ed Helms, I mean, I, I can see the criticism of basically he's just playing Andy from the office. Um, but I liked Andy from the office and I guess yeah. I haven't really had a lot of exposure to the office recently. So seeing him play that character here, or if he, he's not playing that character, but that type of role here just did not, it didn't even occur to me. Yeah, I, see, can see, I can see, I can see, I can see the criticism. Yeah. It just doesn't bother me. Yeah, see, like, unfortunately the office has been playing in my house a little too often over the uh, last year well, over the pandemic year. So I'm, it's still a little fresh in my brain. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I can see, I'm not saying like, I can see the criticism. It just doesn't, yeah, didn't bother me sure. at all. Um, I thought the writing in the direction Nicole Beckwith was just extremely tight. The screenplay, mm-hmm. no wasted moments, no wasted dialogue, solid direction, mm-hmm. Um, she's made one other feature that I wasn't really familiar with, but for this to only be her second film, I was just really surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, yeah, you know, I can just list, you've already mentioned two, so I don't have to launder your list quite as many. Um, what you felt like were some good scenes. I'll mm-hmm. add to those counseling moments with, uh, Tig Notaro, who's a comedian who's in this yeah. and she plays a counselor, mm-hmm. um, coffee shop moments with Anna's coworker. <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. And the guy who plays that, like, he's just, he's, he's great. Um, and I don't feel like it was overdone. It was just, it was, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then without going into spoilers, I'll say the period talk. Yeah. I thought that was amazing and amazing both on Ed Helms's part and on Patty Harris. Like it, it took, like they complimented each other so well because it mm-hmm. was like they had to Really, it was like a comedian duo up on stage. There has to be a straight man. There has to be somebody. To, and like the, just that exchange, just so, okay. so, so good. And then the last, okay, the for where the, for where this movie mm-hmm. is going and for what it's trying to, what I felt like it was trying to do and what it was doing mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. um, the last scene and where it ended <laughs> was magnificent. It okay. couldn't have been better. Now, right. for people, I know they're going to be like, oh, they'd be really disappointed that my wife sitting right beside me was one of them. And without getting into spoilers, she was saying like, Oh, well, I think this is the, and I'm like, no, they purposely left it ambiguous. And she's like, no, we went and turned on the closed captioning and watched that final scene because she was so convinced a bit of information that had been agreed between the two couples not to be discussed was slipped in there. I'm like, no, 
we don't get to know just like the surrogate doesn't get to know. And sure enough, when we turned on the captioning, no, there's nothing there that indicates this thing. Nope. I know. I know. I know. And I'm telling you, we turned on closed captioning. There's not a pronoun? No, no, totally not. My wife said the same thing. I know exactly. And I'm like, no. And I thought it was so genius that the film did that. So I obviously, Mm. we're trying not to get into spoilers Mm -hmm. um, with this last scene, but no, I totally, totally dug it. And the fact that they kept something true to what they had been going on in the movie, I thought was amazing. So, See, okay, <laughs> Chris, we've talked about movies for years now. Yes. I love open-ended films. Mm-hmm. I love ambiguous endings. I'm the guy that when we would have foot candle screenings and the film would end and you could hear groans in our audience because they hate it. I love it. And I'm like so happy about that. that. I, that's why I'm happy we're reviewing this and I'm happy you didn't but like Chris, it because it makes a discussion more Chris, interesting. This is a film where I just... I would have I loved love, to show this to our foot candle audience because oh, I would have been anticipating that groan. Oh my gosh, like, that yes. groan would have been so bad at the end. <sighs> and I would have been I, like, bring I, it on. <laughs> I, I understand what the message is with abruptly ending it the way it does. However, I'm going to be the one to champion and say I, I felt like this is a film that warranted one and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm not the guy to ever advocate this for a film. But yeah, for whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. we spend 90 minutes with these two characters and you get to know them so well. And you just it, whether you agree, you like their relationship or you think their relationship is fraught with danger, you can kind of feel both ways about it. I just felt like this is a scene that needed one more quick moment. And I don't know what that moment needed to be. Hmm. See, I think that's exactly why it was perfect. I think that's exactly why it was perfect the way it is. I know what you're saying. And I was like, my wife looked at me when the cut to black happened. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, but I don't know where it could go after that. That wouldn't be sappy. And so I'm like, or, or more traditional or give. And I'm just like, no, it's just ending. And I'm like, that is so daring to me because they do that. Like, or because it, it because it chose to I, do and it, and I don't know what that one additional moment should have been. I I, I don't have a I didn't have like a preconceived idea of saying oh, I, got I wanted to see this or I want. And I'm not saying it needed to be ending on a happy note or a sad note or whatever. It's just I just felt like there was one beat missing that I just felt like I I, I as an audience member at the end of the film it cut to black. Normally I'm the one giddy when Champing that happens. Sure. This is the time I look at my wife. I'm like. What gives? Well, and I'll, I'll say, <laughs> I'll on. say, I, you know, d- it depends on how you're taking the film and what it's doing for you. And I think, you know, you and I both say we don't mind abrupt endings or we mm. don't leave you hanging. They don't explain everything. And so I'm on the side where I thought it was awesome this time. I will say as playing devil's advocate, as ex- you know, I can see how if a film's not necessarily working for you a little bit, or you feel like the end is, is a cheat. You feel like it's laziness and somehow like they should no. have worked to maybe give you a f- better like I, I didn't end. See it as and laziness. They, I okay. knew it was very intentional and and I get I get the reasoning. Okay. Because again, like you said, the whole buildup of the story is this idea of what's going you don't know as an audience member what is going to happen with this relationship once this one moment happens and once it happens, we still have no idea what is going to happen. It's up to, you know, however we want to interpret it. Right. Um I just I needed I needed one more little morsel thrown on the table, just one little <laughs> more to got, give me a, give me a direction to start leaning towards. You don't have to spell it out for me. 
You sure. don't have to give me a whole epilogue and show me like five years later or whatever. I don't need any of that. I just needed one little morsel. That's it. And mm-hmm. it's just, I, I, I felt like the movie, the movie, the movie owed me that. I felt like in a way, <laughs> I hate saying that it sounds very pretentious, but I do feel like there was a little bit of owed to the audience that one morsel for the 90 minutes that we invested in the, into these two people's lives. Hmm. Cause they're basically in every scene. I mean, they are, it's, which is the other thing that's kind of amazing like, to me it. is like, this could have been, I don't think it was, um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but like a play, like a oh, yeah. two person play. Reason, and like, they just do it. Cause you know, the scene, the settings aren't really that important. It's just them talking and their dialogue and the back and forth. Yeah. And, um, I mean, they have more characters in the film than just two people, but really, yeah, I mean, they're in like every scene. Yeah. Um, Again, so. I love the concept. If I describe the film to somebody and kind of the situation it, it sh- it's showcasing, it's fascinating because, again, and my wife and I end up talking for a good while afterwards, like, okay, so sure. how would that work? You know, yeah. like, how would that kind of situ- relationship work? And it, should they have even gone in that direction to begin with? And, you know, all these questions. But yet at the same time, okay, but there are also two people that didn't have anybody else and they really generally got along. So why not let them be friends? And it's just, it's great conversation and it's a great situation to explore. I just, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, 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 I'm, look, I, I like the film. It's not like I disliked it. Sure. I, I do have an issue with the ending, me personally. And I felt like, you know, Ed Helms' performance was nothing special. But I, I, again, I like the I like the concept more than I thought the execution of the film worked overall. So. I appreciated too that it seemed to me at least it was a very compassionate, non mocking look at people being single mm-hmm. and being lonely. Sure, it wasn't. I didn't feel like it tried to judge, you know, but it, it did bring up complications sometimes. Of, for instance, Ed Helms' mother says, "Wait, you're going to have a kid, you know." it takes two people to have a kid. There's a reason it needs a mother and a father, like all these kind of things. Yeah. And it's like things that as an audience member, you might say like, yeah, you know him choosing to have a kid. It's okay. But you know, he's going to have a lot of challenges because it's, it's all on him, you know, <laughs> but it makes you like people address things and you see like, I don't know, you it just kind of lays things out on a playing field and um, is sympathetic to people that are single and lonely. Mm-hmm. So I thought yeah. that was a unique kind of take on things. Yeah, It was, I, I, I appreciated the film. Um, just had some misgivings with it. Okay. Some things that did not work for me as well as it sounds like they did for you. So, yeah. Um, I still think it's worth a watch. I still think I'd recommend it to people to check out, uh, mainly because I think the premise is just worth, it is some great, some great cinematic and uh, cinematic gold to mine with that. And, and I was really curious about where they were going to go with it. And it has some lots of funny moments. And I think it's billed as a comedy, which obviously there's some drama in there too. It, it, it had enough light touches where yes, it's not a heavy watch, right? You know, is, which is nice. Um, I'll say this, anybody out there, you watch together together. And if the ending does not work for you, uh, drop me a line. Let me know. Let's, let's commiserate and, and figure out <laughs> why it didn't work for us. Where Chris, if you did like the ending, then Chris is the one to talk to because he's in your camp on that. So, yeah. And it's, you know, I, I liked, which I mean, you appreciate too. I'm sure it's not your typical, you hear the idea, you see it built as a comedy and you're like, Oh, okay. I know where this is going. Mm. It's typical rom-com type thing. And it, and it's not. So yeah, it's, no, this had a lot more tenderness, a lot more, a lot more human, true human nature to it. And, and, uh, Again, by the end of the film, I felt like I knew these two characters pretty well. I, her more than him, 
I really felt like she probably not having a persona to attach to her mm. like I did at Helms, I think helps um, her being a little bit of an unknown. Uh, granted, she's been a writer on comedy series. She's actually been in a lot of a lot of shows and programs, but like you said, not a headlining uh, star in any of those films. So uh, it was nice to kind of be able to create a new persona sure. from her. Um, Ed Helms, I wish had stretched a little bit more <laughs> on his performance, but um, it's fine. Okay. Well, that's Together Together, directed by Nicole Beckwith. It is available online for uh, rental uh, streaming purposes, Apple, Google, Amazon. And I think it did have a kind of limited release in theaters sure. out there. So. I, I have to keep reminding myself. Yeah, theaters, some theaters are open. We can actually say now that it's in theaters, and that's 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 exciting to say again, yeah. once again. But uh, both Cruella and Together Together have had theater exposure uh, Krill are probably a little bit wider, I would imagine, than, sure. than this one. So that is our two reviews, uh, both positive reviews. I just, uh, I think Chris and I were pretty much on the same page with Krill. Me a little less so on Together Together, but I think we're still both coming away with positive reviews regardless on that. Um, so Chris, let's take a quick break. Okay. When we come back, we're going to do some movie news. I've got two films on opposite ends of my expectation scale to bring up okay. that have been either announced or talked about recently. And then I think we have a couple of recommendations to give also late in the episode of some films or in my situation, it's not a traditional film, but I'll explain why, but it's still something I want to heavily recommend. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with foot candle films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Chris and I finished our reviews of the Disney film Cruella and the uh, smaller independent film Together Together earlier in the show. But now, Chris, let's turn our attention towards future films, films that have been either announced or have some interesting production news associated with them that we want to talk about. I think we have three of them to cover here. I'm trying to decide, do I lead with the one I'm the least excited about or the one I'm the most excited about? Hmm. Let's go with least. I think that's a good way. Go build, build to the positive. I'm going to start with the least. I'm going to let you go with yours. Okay. And then I'm going to end with the one I am the most excited about. End on a high note. Love there it. you go. Perfect. That's what we'll do. Okay. So, Chris... I, I don't know if I, this is something I need to like actually acknowledge or publicly state or claim, but I've never seen the film Hocus Pocus. Huh. Have you? See, I have a problem. I confuse that with The Witches. Oh, I've seen The Witches. See, I have definitely seen The Witches because I just watched it recently because um, they did a remake and I didn't yeah. watch the remake, but I saw the original. Right. Hocus Pocus has Bette Midler. Bette Midler. Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker okay. and Kathy Najimy. Does not have Angelica Houston, which no. is The Witches. I don't think I've seen okay. Hocus Pocus. Not. Okay. It's one of those films that I think was several years after the time where I might have seen it right. at my age. Still so a Disney joint? Past. I think so. Okay. I think it's Disney affiliated. Okay. I don't know if it was Disney or if it was like Touchstone Pictures or something, but it was in that Disney family, I'm pretty sure. Gotcha. Anyway, for whatever it's worth, <laughs> they are announcing. Uh, yeah, it's a Disney. It's a Disney film. Okay, uh, Hocus Pocus two. 
So supposedly the three actresses are all coming back. Oh. Bat Medler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy. They're going to be reprising their roles as Winifred, Sarah, and Mary Sanderson. Now, I can already hear people writing us saying <laughs> we should not be writing off a sequel to a film that we didn't even see the original for. I get it. Fair. But, you know, I do think it's also another interesting Cash note grab. of a film. Yeah, that's like even Bette Midler, supposedly like within the last couple of years, was on record saying she thought the idea of a Hocus Pocus sequel was a bad idea. Hmm. But now, oh, hey. now she's in it and <laughs> they're making it. And yep. uh, it was from 1993. So, okay. Yeah, I was already... In my low twenties at that point, so I, sure. I this was not in my wheelhouse when it came out, so I had no reason to see it, and I didn't have kids yet, so it's like I completely missed that window of uh, being a, a, an opportunity to see and this. see. Full disclosure for me, I think the reason why I think I've may have seen it, but I haven't seen it. I worked at the Disney store for an awfully long time oh. in uh, late high school and college. You may have shut it out, and so. I may have had it blaring at me in the background as I was trying to ring people up no at the cash register. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I feel I know of it, but yeah, I don't. Well, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I will say this. I mean, it's not fair to judge a film, especially if we haven't seen the one it's based off of, you know, um, I am always excited to see, you know, what, Bette Midler, you know, is doing next. I mean, I think that's exciting. Sarah Jessica Parker, I can't remember really seeing anything lately. So, and Kathy Najimy, I really don't know what the last time I've seen her in a film. So, for all them coming back, I think the premise is going to be it's a younger set of witches that come how, somehow summon the older witches hmm. back, hmm. you know, to come back and help with something. So, uh, you know, who knows? I, I, there are a <laughs> lot of fans. The original Hocus okay. Focus has a big following from what I understand. So, okay. Uh, could be interesting to kind of keep our eye out and see what happens with so that. So should we say that we need to research and watch the original Hocus Pocus? Well, listen, you and I both like Halloween-themed movies. We, we do. Like, you know, so, and this is a Halloween film, so maybe that's something come uh, whenever this film is released, which I assume would probably be next October, if I had to guess. Okay. Won't be this October, because I think they just announced it. Okay. Um, maybe we plan on watching the original and then seeing the new one, just to kind of come full circle with it. <laughs> Okay, we can cross it off our off our list. Whatever I mean, list if I watch The Witches finally, there's no reason why I shouldn't watch the original Hocus Pocus. Yeah, sure, so. we'll do that. Okay, that sounds good. All right, Chris, what have you got for us? So um, you may have heard mm-hmm. uh, we actually brought up as a news item at one point on the show that uh, Ryan Johnson, director Ryan Johnson, has announced that he's going to do a sequel, a follow up to Knives Out, Knives Out Two. And uh, it's going to go to Netflix. All of that we've and that Daniel Craig, as Benoit Blanc, had already signed on to you know do the sequel. That we talked about before. However, <laughs> Twitter social media has just been on fire because apparently it's like a star is surprised when they're not a member of the cast of <laughs> Knives Out Two. Uh, so far, as of right now, when we're recording, we have Dave Bautista, Catherine Hahn. I already mentioned Daniel Craig. Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Leslie Odom Jr., and Janelle Monet. So it's like just more and more names keep getting added. Um, I've, you know, I'm excited anyway to see another Knives Out, uh, if it's going to be kind of a follow, like a Hercule Poirot type mm-hmm. series where he does a couple of these, kind of like an Ocean's Eleven, but for you know Knives Out movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about that. I am a little worried that um, – it was Netflix who decided to do it because, you know, I think like we discussed last time, I just worry that maybe 
in the mind of the filmmaker. It's like, oh, well, I'm doing this for Netflix as opposed to I'm doing this for a theatrical release. Like mm-hmm. if there's a different mindset there. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on that? I'm I'm all for it. Um, you know, I, I think people forget that when the original Knives Out was being cast, it was kind of a similar thing. It was like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, uh, Chris Evans. Um, Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield. And then who was the, uh, um, um, shoot, uh, Michael Shannon. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, wow. This is like <laughs> a loaded. huge list of loaded characters. Okay, well, they're all gone. You know, the <laughs> idea with these movies is that you're now moving on to a whole nother mystery with a whole nother group of characters. So yeah, you're going to be stacking in with a whole nother list of people. I think people were not used to hearing a sequel being announced and such a long list of new actors being added to a sequel. Right. Well, it makes sense here because it is a completely different cast. Um, just one continuing thread and that being Daniel Craig. No, I'm excited. I, I, I was the one that was a little let down with knives out. Right. Um, I, it did not work for me as much as it did a lot of other people. I still appreciate it. I still love the idea of bringing back the old style murder mystery uh, with the sleuth that has to, you know, work with a large group of people to figure out what happened. I love that concept. Right. Um, I just, I think that, I think the, the, the uh, structural choices of the first one threw me off to mm-hmm. the point where I didn't find myself enjoying it as much as I liked or would have liked. Well, um, I think so you, we'll there's a chance with, with the sequel, I think, because the first one was so intent on kind of upending things. Yeah. And it worked for me. You're saying it did work as mm. much for you. You still appreciate the movie. But I think Ryan Johnson is smart enough not to try to pull an M. Night Shyamalan in the same way at the end of this movie. <laughs> so yeah, I think don't, like, don't show me what happened with them. Like, don't, don't right. give me away the murder early on and then do something kind of retroactively. Don't, don't follow that same thing. I got you. I got you. But, um, I'm anxious to see what happens. I like Ryan Johnson, so yeah. I'm going to watch whatever he puts out, even if not everything is a surefire hit in my book that he does. So, cool. But speaking of a surefire hit. Okay. I can't wait to see I, what I'm, this is. I'm, I'm betting you've heard of this, and if you okay. haven't, I'm so excited to be announcing this to you. <laughs> okay. So we were both big fans of the film The Favorite, 2018. Yes. yes. Yorgos Lanthimos. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have the poster in my office. Um, and it starred Emma Stone, who yes. we talked about from Cruella. And Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Right. So we have a announcement of the next film that Yorgos Lathmos is going to be working on. I don't know that I've heard this. Awesome. So he is going to be bringing um, an adaptation of a novel by Scottish author Alice Dare Gray called Poor Things. Poor, like P-O-O-R, yeah, yeah. poor things. Okay. It's a reimagining of Frankenstein. Oh, I've definitely not heard this. Okay. But it replaces Frankenstein's monster with a young woman named Bella Baxter. Emma Stone will be playing Bella Baxter. Wow. Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe will be in the film alongside wow. her. Okay. The only thing that could build this up anymore is if you tell me it's a musical. Oh, no, not a musical. Dang, because Yorgos Lantham is doing yeah. a musical with that kind of stuff, and Emma Stone can do a musical? Okay. Well, but this is a Victorian-style story, a okay. Victorian tale of love, discovery, and scientific daring. Poor Things tells the incredible story of Belle Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by hmm. an eccentric but brilliant scientist. Hmm. <laughs> and what I read a little bit more about the book is that supposedly she comes back with the brain of a child— um, 
but with some very interesting views towards uh, sexuality. <laughs> so, wow. Sounds like a Yorgos Lanthimos film. It totally does. As you get into that kind of description of it. So I am very, very excited. Wow. Um, sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, I am really interested. The thing that kind of worries me is it sounds like it's going to be incredibly dark, which wouldn't be surprising mm. consider who's doing it. Um, but wow. No, I'm, and you know, I, we've gone on record. I'm not the biggest period piece person, mm. but you take somebody like him who did the favorite, love that film. So yeah, this, this has me intrigued with the little science fiction, you know, or sci-fi yeah, exactly. element of that's Frankenstein. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, I, I love the original Frankenstein story. I like seeing diff, completely different takes on it. Sure. But I also like seeing it from a very, uh, creative mindset, like Lanthimos is going to bring to it. I'm sure. Wow. Poor things. Um, that is uh, starting production now, so I don't know okay. when we'll see it. But that's my uh, that's my most anticipated <laughs> film for the the foreseeable future. So. Sure. Wow, that's a right. good one. Well, that's our movie news. I'm going to say that the Lanthimos film is definitely will be good. I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> throw it out there. Hocus Pocus two. I don't know. I mean, I can't judge it, but I'm sure a lot of people are happy to see it happening. Knives Out 2, I do think it could be good. Good. So, yeah. I think <laughs> we've enough. got some interesting ones coming up. All right. Chris, let's go ahead and wrap up the show with our last segment. This is where you and I both share a recommendation of a film or film-ish material that we'd like to recommend for people to check out uh, as their online streaming or viewing. These are films that you know do need to be ones that you can find online so people can find them in their own, own comfort of their own home. Chris, what do you have as a recommendation for us today? So I'm going to recommend a film that could give possibly Netflix their first animated feature Oscar. Hmm. It is The Mitchells versus The Machines. It's about a quirky, dysfunctional family's road trip and how it's upended when they find themselves in the middle of a robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. Hmm. Um, this is from the production team of... Philip Lord and Christopher Miller, who gave us the Lego movie. They're not directing it, but they, you know, help produce it. Um, it's got voice work by Maya Rudolph and Danny McBride, Olivia Coleman. Um, she's just all over the show this she week. <laughs> um, she and Emma Stone have taken over. I know, yeah. <laughs> which is fun. Um, but the Mitchells and the Machines, I had heard it talked about a little bit on social media, um, needed a break to watch something that wasn't quite so heavy. Yeah. And watched this and really liked it. Um, also, uh, kind of amazing to me because it has a 114-minute running time, which is almost two hours. And it kept me interested and didn't I didn't feel like it repeated too much. Hmm. Um, so I highly recommend Mitchell's vs. the Machines. And I think it has already done really well for Netflix. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's nominated, at least, next year when it comes uh, animated feature. Wow. Because it's it's just really surprising how, how good it is. Great. No, I've actually heard some really good things about that film, so uh, interested to see it as well. Lord Miller, I mean, I think seemed to be knocking out some really good stuff with their with their variety of uh, of their work so far. Uh, it's still a shame that we didn't get to see the Lord Miller version of Solo, the Han Solo movie that they worked on supposedly for a good while before Ron Howard had to take it over. Would have been fascinating to see. But, I think um, I may have missed. It's Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. I think I got Christopher Miller right, but I may have messed up on. But anyways, that's the two we're talking about. Yeah. Lord and Miller. I yeah, Lord and Miller. Happen. That's Lord an easy way to do it. Sure. Great. Okay, so the Mitchells versus the Machines on yes. Netflix. So mine is an Amazon choice. You can watch it on Amazon if you have Amazon Prime uh, service or today. And I say it's a non-traditional film because it's. 
10 hours long. Oh my it goodness. It is, is a mini series. Okay. Um, but the reason I bring it up in so a it's, film. So it's not a Zack Snyder film, no, 10 hours long. It's actually say, a series. I mean, we okay. reviewed an almost four hour film. So, you know, we're not that far off. <laughs> right. Um, the reason I bring it up in a film podcast is because it's directed by Barry Jenkins, who we know from Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk. Okay. Uh, he has directed a 10 episode miniseries on Amazon called The Underground Railroad. And I will just go ahead and go on record saying I think it's one of the most visually interesting creative takes on a slavery period story I could imagine. Um, okay. This is a beautiful, beautiful, also scary and harrowing series uh, where we follow a young woman named Cora as she makes an amazing discovery of, during her attempt to break free from slavery in the Deep South. So you do follow her as she's moving through different states. Even some of the episodes are titled South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, um, as she's making her way through trying to get to uh, what she's always heard is kind of an area where she can be free. It is so visually interesting and so stylistic. Uh, you know, the Underground Railroad concept, she's heard about the Underground Railroad. It's depicted as an actual railroad, like in this show, like underground there is a subway basically that can take slaves to different places and be free. Um, just the way this thing is shot and story told is just fascinating to watch. So uh, Thuso Mabuda is stars as Cora, not familiar with her as an actress, but she's really, really good throughout the whole thing. And then Joel Edgerton, you know, Joel Edgerton is an yes. actor, almost unrecognizable. It took me a little while to figure out who it was. Uh, as Arnold Ridgway, a slave catcher, kind of on the path trying to chase down Cora. Um, it's a very non-traditional storytelling. Uh, there's a lot of magical fantasy type elements to it, but beautifully shot. There's one scene in, in like one of the last episodes where there's a, a whole corn shucking contest between a whole group of people that's so well shot. It's one of the most beautifully shot scenes I've seen in a really long time. Uh, I just really, really admired the series. My wife started working, watching it. I kind of got into it a little late and had to go back and play a little catch up. But man, so have you finished. have you finished? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And it is a limited series. Yeah, I don't think because I know that I know it's based on a book which I've yes. actually read. Okay, yeah, um, based on the book by Colson Whitehead. Yeah. So, okay, so you've read the book. I have. You know, the book kind of mm -hmm. also incorporates some of that same fantastical elements to it, or it, uh, yes, I, I was a while ago since I read it. The whole. Um, practical or practical notion of an underground railroad yeah. was definitely there. Some of the other um, things I'm not sure were there or not. I'm well, interested to watch it and mm -hmm. see what's there and what's not. I, I just think, you know, I'm a fan of Barry Jenkins work. Really, really love moonlight. I, uh, this, this thing's beautiful. Okay. This thing's so good. It's also extremely, it's a tough watch at times too. I mean, it's some very, very harrowing stories being told, but um, man, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, you need to check this out. Okay. For sure. So, Awesome. That's the Underground Railroad. I, 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 it's really like a 10-hour movie. And, uh, you know, because Barry Jenkins is just known for film and uh, such a great filmmaker, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention this as a recommendation. So, cool. All right, Chris. Well, that is, our, that is our show for today. So positive reviews of Cruella, mostly positive reviews of Together Together, definitely from Chris, who gave it a very, very high, high rating there. Do you like Together Together better than Cruella? Or is it not really possible to compare the two? I that's I had to think on that. Yeah, it's it's hard because they're so different. Okay. So, 
but you liked them. Both. I think I at least like them equally. There may be one I like slightly better, okay, but yeah, they're good. close together. Uh, and then we talked about our news section. Uh, we talked about uh, Poor Things by Yorgos Lanthimos. We talked about Hocus Pocus 2. And we talked about Knives Out 2. And then our recommendations, the Mitchells versus the Machines and the Underground Railroad. One's on Netflix, the other on Amazon, both definitely ones we want to recommend. So, all right, Chris, if anybody's got any thoughts or questions or feedback for us, how can they reach out to us? You can send us an email at info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd, Alan Jackson, Chris Fry. You can track what we're seeing. Sometimes we write small little reviews. Our film festival is coming up September 22nd through the 26th. Uh, If you're interested in submitting a film, you have a little bit of time left. I think this episode will come out before our final deadline, which is June 1st. Uh, You just go to Film Freeway and look for Foot Candle Film Festival if you want to submit. And if you like our show, that's awesome. Um, Share with your friends. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Cast. Give us a star rating or write a review on those services if you can. It helps us reach more listeners. All right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope to see you or hear from you at the next episode. And also, we might even see you at the Foot Candle Film Festival in September. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that. For Alan Jackson, Chris Fry, take care, have a great day, and we'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.